It's okay, I'll wait for you to stop talking. Never mind. Romans chapter 8, if you have your Bible with you. If you're online watching, welcome. Glad that you're with us. Romans chapter 8, we're going to be in verse 29. I'd love to pray with you first before we jump into it and uh, ask God to help shape our thinking. Talking about some really complicated things this morning. Um, Predestination, I know you're very excited about that. Predestination and God foreknowing, the things that God knows in advance. So a combination of those two, and because I've been living with this for several weeks now, it, it, I could be tempted to move through it really, really quickly, and I'm praying in every service, asking God to slow me down, um, just so you have time to process it the same way I did. I had the benefit of working with this for a while. So let's pray that God would illuminate our mind and we would understand this. Let's do that together. Father, I thank you for these who have gathered in this service. I thank you for the great news that's been shared, for the amazing work you're doing among us. And we're thankful for the praise we're even able to lift to you. It's your breath that's in our lungs that allows us to even sing. So thank you for the gift. And now we turn to your word and we pray that you would illuminate our mind, that you would do what you have committed to doing. God, you said that your word is not only alive and active, it's anointed that you have spoken. And so we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us in combination with your word would give us illumination that we would understand you better. That's what we really gather here for, Father, that we would know you and that we would know who we are to you. So God, I, I pray that you would make that abundantly clear this morning, especially as we see the magnitude of your love and the way that you have laid a plan So do that for us now, Father. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We started last week and the week before, um, like we're going to start this morning, with Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46, 9, in which God declared, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there's no one like me. And because that is absolutely true, he can make infallible guarantees. He can make commitments to you that no one else can make. I know that you've had people make promises to you in which they failed in their promise. We do that as humans. Our promises fail. But God can make infallible guarantees. And we looked at a monster one last week, Romans 8, 28. I just want you to be refreshed with that again. Look at this promise that God made. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. That is a monstrous promise. So it needs an outrageously loud, large foundation underneath it to hold it up. There's got to be something that holds that kind of a promise in place. Last week, we unpacked the meaning of that promise, and we learned specifically there's a component to it in which God is committing something to you, that whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through right now, whatever you might have gone through in the last week, maybe whatever you're going to go through in this year that's coming up, whatever you're going through, that if you're in Jesus Christ, it's not happening to you by accident. God says, I got you. These things that you're going through, there's a purpose in them. If you're a believer, God says, I've got you in the midst of that. I can hold you. I make all things work together for good for those who love God. So now Paul comes along in verse 29, and he says, now, you need to know that that promise is rock solid. You need to know that you can stand on that enormous promise, and you can take it to the bank 
And so verse 29 comes along, and he says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. My experience is that many people get hung up on this predestination thing, and, and they find that that's the most important component of that statement. Well, it is important, and we are going to spend some time with it this morning. But I'll tell you that in my view, it's not the most important thing. The two most important things, maybe you've already seen them in your notes, but you're going to see them on the screen. The two, from my view, the most important components of verse 29 is this, that God knows. That God knows everything. He knows what's going on in your life right now. He knows what will go on in your life. God knows everything because he's omniscient. So Paul can say, he foreknew, and we're going to understand that in just a moment, but here's the second component, that God has an objective And his objective is to conform you to the image of Jesus. So for three weeks, fourth week now, I've been telling you that verses 24 through 29 form a core of confidence for a believer. So Paul has just stated for us the fourth core, and it's all based on the purposes of God. Let me just remind you what those four promises are again. We've looked at this each of these couple weeks. Now, look with me again. His purpose is that he's going to bring about a regeneration, when he's going to make all things new. So Paul says in verse 24, it's in hope that we've been saved. And then you come to the second component and you find that he's intimately aware and he does respond. According to verse 26, he's aware of your needs. And so we pray in the power of the Spirit to have God take activity in the midst of our needs. And we come into this third purpose, that he's working in the midst of everything going on in your life. If you're a believer in Jesus, he's working in order to make all things work together for good, according to verse 28. And here comes the fourth one. The fourth core purpose is that he will ultimately conform us to the complete image of Jesus. So those four cores are built on a massive foundation, a foundation that's not going to crumble. There's a truth that's holding those things up and it's holding you up. So that in the midst of hard times, you can lean into this and know there's a promise I can be sure of because God guaranteed it. What's it built on, Mark? It's built on God's omniscience. It's built on God's sovereign power, on his knowing that he has everything under control. We're only going to get seven words into that verse this morning because it's so meaty, we're going to have to come back to it next week. So let's take just the first five words and then we'll come to the last two words in just a minute. Let's understand this statement when he said in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, begins with the word for, which means because. So if you've got your Bible open and you don't mind writing in it, you could actually write the word because above the word for. Because Paul is making a statement here. He's saying all the things going on in your life, all the bitter things and all the sweet things, They're all working together for good because, here comes verse 29, because the foundation it's built on is rock solid, because the foundation is of God knowing, because God foreknew. God foreknew what? I believe there's a mistake that some people make when they come to this concept of predestination and God foreknowing. And here's what my observation is the mistake is. They think that it means that God foresees in the distant future those who will believe, and he simply predestines those ones to be like Jesus. 
that he could see the future and those individuals that he identifies that exercise faith, he says, well, those ones are going to be like Jesus. But that assumes that he foresees our work, not his. It assumes that he foresees what we do, not his efforts. So in other words, by that reasoning, God's not causing our faith. He only foresees our faith. And then he responds to that. But that would mean God's not sovereign. And we've just established that God is sovereign. He's not dependent upon what we do in the future. So here's what the Bible clearly says. The Bible clearly says that God's choice precludes human achievement. In other words, you didn't do something to be saved. God offered it to you, and it's not because of the works that you've done. I know that's familiar to you if you're a church person, but let me just show you the way God says it in the book of Ephesians. See it with me on the screen. Just kind of laying a groundwork here. For by grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2.8, through faith and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God. Okay, many church people get that. They've heard that for a long time. Okay, God did that, that he gave the gift. I didn't do that. It's not my works. So let's go to Ephesians 1.4, which supports that. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So this knowing that we're talking about here, this foreknowing of God, there's something really huge going on here. This is the knowing of a predetermined relationship. God knowing in advance that there would be a relationship with him on your part if you're a believer this morning. God's foreknowing is a predetermined relationship. Let me support that from Scripture. The way that the word know or knew is used is always talking about a relationship in the Bible. Look with me on the screen at two examples. In the Old Testament, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He's not telling Jeremiah, I, I knew your name, Jeremiah. He's talking about, I know your innermost being. I know how you're built. Now go with me to the New Testament, Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own. The same way the word is being used there. There's a relationship. There's an identification. And many times when we begin talking about these really deep, weedy things, People kind of like to lean into, okay, what does the Greek language say? Maybe that'll help me understand, especially with predestination. Like, maybe Mark will give us a Greek word this morning that'll explain the whole thing. Well, I'm sorry to tell you that the two Greek words I'm going to give you are so basic, they're not really going to explain predestination, but you need to see the reason that they were used. So the first one is in your notes, and you see it on the screen, progenosco. Now, that's a compound word, pro like in our language today, pro means something forward, leaning forward into. So there's something forward about this thinking here. But it goes way beyond simply foreknowing, beforehand, knowing something beforehand. In the Bible, to know something is always speaking of an intimacy. It's used of a relationship. So here's some examples for you. Let's look at Adam first in the way that he knew his wife, Eve. It says in Genesis 4.1, now Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. So he made her his own. He knew her intimately and loved her. See, there's a use of an intimacy here with the word know. Let's take it forward into Genesis 18, 19. God's talking about his relationship with Abraham. And he says, about Abraham, I have known him so that he may command his children 
Now, that's not God saying, I, I know who Abraham is. He's saying, I know how he's built. I know him because we have relationship together. See, there's an intimacy here. So in the book of Amos, you find God using the same language about the chosen people of Israel. And the word known is traded for the word chosen. And he says in Amos 3.2, you only have I chosen, or you could put the word known in there, among all the families of the earth, so God knows Israel in the Old Testament in a very unique way, having predetermined that they would come into relationship with him. Now, let's go to the New Testament and Jesus using the same language. And Jesus says it this way in Matthew 7, 23. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. And he's talking about at judgment day when believers and unbelievers are separated and God's saying, I never knew you. Now, Jesus is God, and God would never say, well, I don't know those people because he built those people. He's saying, I have no intimate relationship with you. Depart from me because there's no relationship between you and me. There's no intimacy. But see how Scripture speaks of you this morning and God knowing you. He says this in 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows those who are his. There's an intimacy. There's a relationship between you and the God that you just praised in all those songs. The God that you just celebrated because of the building fund and what he's doing among us. There's an intimacy. There's a relationship there. God knows those ones. So it would be wrong to say that God foreknew means he simply looked out into the future and saw our reaction, what we did, and then we believed as a result. That, that's not accurate. Now, if it hasn't been weedy for you yet, it's about to get weedier, okay? Um, just three minutes. Just hang with me on this. For God to foreknow you, for God to have this for love for you, it requires on God's part an action. It requires an earlier declaration, in other words, unless God declares something, it's not possible for him to know it. Hear it this way. In Genesis 1.1, God declared, let there be light. Let there be day. Let there be night. Let there be things that spring forth from the earth. God declared things and they come into being. So there's God calling going on here in the midst of this. So between verses 28 and 30, you find the word called repeated. Just look at your Bible. It's open on your lap. God's calling is synonymous with God foreknowing. Here's what you find Romans clarifying if I'm losing you. Here's what Romans is doing for you. It's saying this call, this call upon you, it's the powerful work of God to bring about what he commands. Let there be light. Let there be day. He called you into relationship with him. And it's an effective call. It's the effectual call, theologians call it. It's the call of God to create what he commands. And you see it best in Jesus' interaction with Lazarus. You remember the story. If you're a church person, you know this. you got a dead man laying in a tomb. And he can't do anything for himself. And God shows up on the scene and says, Lazarus, come forth. Do you think the dead man had a choice in that decision? No, there's no, there's no choice on his part. Lazarus could only respond to what the God of the universe declared to be true. Life 
Come forth, Lazarus. So Lazarus stumbles out into the light of day. It's the powerful work of God to bring about what he commands to be true. So how do you match that with something that Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two fourteen, when he said, many are called, but few are chosen? You understand what's going on here in the difference in the calling. What Jesus is referring to here is the gospel call. The call to everyone to believe, that the whole earth would respond to what he's making available. But in the history of the church, nothing is more obvious than the fact that many people have heard the information, but very few have responded to it. Many do not accept what they hear from God and the offer. The offer. So, but here in Romans, the term called is used differently than the way that Jesus used it in Matthew 22. He's referring to the actual work of God in your heart. Whatever point in time in which you came into relationship with God, when Jesus made sense to you, when when you put the pieces together and you said, okay, I get it. That call is what he's talking about here. God's effectual call took place in your life. And in this sense, all the called are the redeemed. See, there is so much more going on here than just foreknowing God's foreknowing, his calling is not something cold. It's not just arbitrary. There's something really, really warm here. This is the filling of a warmth of love of God towards you, as in the Hebrew word, like Adam knew Eve, intimacy of relationship. Dr. John Stott is a modern-day theologian, and he was looking at this, and this was a quote I pulled out of one of his statements He said it this way, whom he foreknows is virtually equivalent to whom he foreloved. Drink that in. Really chew on that. God foreloved you before you ever walked this planet, before you were ever a twinkle in your mama's eye. God for loved you. So the meaning of all things working together for good, if you're called according to God's purpose, if you love God, is true because God has known you and God has chosen you and God has loved you from before you ever walked this planet. Let me support that from Scripture. Ephesians 1.4. We looked at it just briefly a minute ago. Look at the full statement He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. How? According to the kind intention of His will. See, it's God's will that you would come into relationship with Him. So this knowing I said earlier, this is the knowing of a predetermined, intimate, intimate relationship. You in relationship with God. Now, pat yourself on the back. You got through the first five words. Am am I going too fast for you? Okay. I see your eyes are glazing over a little bit. This predestination stuff is pretty heavy stuff, but it's important to know because God's saying, here's a truth about you. Here's something I have done, and you need to be aware of it. Otherwise, he would have never caused Paul to write it down. So let's go to the last half of the statement, the final two words. For those whom he foreknew, 
he also predestined. Now, this is the other component that sits on that foundation. This is what holds up those promises, and it's rock solid. And it simply means that having set his love on you, having foreknown you in love before you ever existed, he decided what would become of you, and we're talking about in spiritual terms, what would become of you, namely, that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus. Now, hang on to that thought because it's going to come back to you at the end here. Here's the last Greek word, porizo. This one, I think, is probably a little bit more important because it relates to our modern English language. I told you the word pro means something moving forward, leaning into, or, or looking forward. Horizo, though, that, that's familiar to us because we know the word horizon. So if you left here and drove over to Grand Haven this afternoon and got on the shore of Lake Michigan, you'd be able to see a horizon line very clear where the water meets the sky, and you'd be able to identify a clear line that's out in the distance. And that's what Porizo is talking about, God ahead of time deciding what destiny you will have, seeing that line out there. God foreordaining believers will be brought into conformity with the image of Jesus. So, those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose are destined to be like Jesus. So all things work together for your good, all things working together for your good, because all things work to make you like Jesus. For this, you were predestined. I think every one of us could stop and just draw a breath for a moment and say, okay, trying to drink this in. How does this relate to my friends who are not in relationship with Christ? What does that mean? They're not predestined? We'll come back to that in just a second. The full truth about God's omniscience is not comprehensible. Would you agree with that? Anyone here that comprehends omniscience? Because I'll, I'll sit down and you can teach. I, I don't, and I'm willing to say that I bet most of us would agree. The full understanding of God's omniscience is not comprehensible. So that means no matter how much I study, no matter how much time you spend with God's word and you're diving into this and trying to figure this out, how does this all fit together? How does this predestination stuff work? We have to ultimately come to the position where we accept that there are mysteries that have not been revealed to us. There's some missing components. So last night after the Saturday night service, we went for 45 minutes in Q&A. People trying to process this, make sense of these statements by God. We have to accept there's a reality here. There's a mystery that we cannot fathom. But here's what we can fathom when it comes to your unsaved friends or family members that may not yet be in relationship with Jesus. What I can know for sure is I can believe what the Bible clearly says about those who will come into relationship with God. Scripture commits this to us. Jesus said this in John 6, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. That's a strong commitment from God. It's another one of those rock-solid promises that if someone is going to come to Christ, Jesus will not reject them, there's not going to be a choosing, rejecting issue going on here. So there's really two very important aspects I have to keep in mind. And I'm talking about myself 
And I bet you have to do it too when you come to this issue of God choosing. Here's my first realization. I am not his because of what I first decided. I am not his because of what I first decided, but because of what God decided. That may be very hard. Maybe that's a new truth to you. But God's showing you that he chose you before the world ever existed. So hear this. This is the reality check for me. I am able to choose him because he chose me first. I'm able to choose him because he chose me according to the kind intention of his will, Ephesians 1. Now, here's the second one. I'm not chosen because of who I am, because I'm not all that great, right? And neither are you. (laughs) Thank you for that. I'm not chosen because of who I am but because of who he is. You're not chosen because of who you are, but because of who he is. And we need to get that straight in our head because we're not all that great. We're sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. So Moses really needed to help Israel with that because they started getting kind of haughty. Like, we're pretty great. Look what God's done for us. We must be really special. So in Deuteronomy chapter 7, you find Moses having to set them straight. This is who you really are, Deuteronomy 7, 7. This is just the nature and character of God here. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all the peoples, but because the Lord loved you. Because the Lord loved you, new hope, he set his sights on you. Well, doesn't God love the whole world? Absolutely. Jesus said, God so loved the whole world that he sent his one and only son. And you start feeling the tension between what does God foreknowing here and there's predestination and yet not everybody comes. How does this all fit together? Here's the struggle that you and I have. We immediately begin thinking of seventh grade gym class, all right? We begin thinking of choosing sides for basketball. Guys will relate to this. You, 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 shirts off. You guys are going to be the skins. You guys over there, you got the shirts on. Seventh grade basketball, shirts playing the skins. Girls, you don't relate to that, so you might be thinking volleyball. Maybe in your seventh grade gym class, two of your fellow classmates got to choose the sides. And so somebody chose their friends, or they would say, well, you're tall, you're tall. Yeah, you'll be on my volleyball team, not you. You can't jump. And you immediately begin thinking that that's what God's doing here, that God's choosing sides for basketball, and he's choosing some and rejecting others. That is not what's going on here. This is not a case of God arbitrarily choosing some and saying, you don't get in, but you do. Paul is helping us understand salvation is a result of God's purposes, the kind intention of his will. There's an action of God on his part because he has a definite goal in mind to carry out his purposes, not because we're so great, because he's got a purpose in mind. So I have to lean into Scripture to remind myself of what God has promised and committed. And this is one of the things he's committed, John 1, 12. 
but as many as received him. So there's an offer that's been put out. There's an offer to receive what he's presented. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, meaning of the will of God. God's will is at work here. So whatever date it is that you came into relationship with Jesus, you identified him as a reality. I need that. I need forgiveness of my sin. I need to be in relationship with God. Whenever that salvation event was in your life, know this. It was God who took the initiative, and he offers himself to everyone that way. He offers the relationship. And so because God deals with us on an intimate basis, a person-to-person basis, we are individually accountable for how we respond to that offer. But what I know for sure is the New Testament affirms absolutely it is God's will that all would come to Him. According to what we see in 2 Peter 3.9, God's not going to lie to you. He says this, the Lord is not slow about His promise. In other words, he's going to carry out what he intends to do. He's not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is heady stuff, isn't it? So we lean back into Isaiah 46 to end this today, and I'm going to ask you to chew on this between now and next weekend because we have to come back to this next week. For I am God... And there is no other. I am God, and there's no one like me. Now finish the verse out. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. If you were predestined, it's because God has an ultimate purpose in mind. His ultimate purpose has been stated very clearly. God's ultimate purpose in creation, I'm thinking historical now. Think historical in the Bible. What was God's original purpose in creation? Think Genesis. Is that all that he created, everything that he put in place would bring glory to him. That everything would be praiseworthy. And so he created man. He created man in his image. He made mankind according to his likeness, according to what we see in the book of Genesis. Now, if predestination stood by itself without any further explanation from God, you might conclude that all that's involved here is an action by which God said, it's done, that's it, I've made the decision, it's over. But the remainder of the sentence really indicates there's much more going on here. There's much more than just your deliverance. You just saying, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free forever, amen. But God's telling you there's more than just your deliverance going on here. There's a conformity issue, conforming to the image of his son. So check this. Two more minutes. From before time began, God chose created beings to bear his image. But man rebelled. And in the rebellion, they destined everyone to eternal separation from God. 
But yet God still desires that mankind would bear his image and be in a relationship with him. He wants the intimacy. So because he is God and because he never changes, there's no shadow of turning in him, his end purposes, his ultimate purpose is the same as his original purpose that we might be conformed to the image of God. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And he's talking, obviously, spiritually here. So consequently, if you're a believer this morning, every one of you, every one of us, myself included, is moving unalterably toward the original purpose of God to have a people in his likeness. So he's redeeming for himself a Christ-like race, a group of individuals to be citizens in his kingdom to dwell with him eternally. And we'll come back to the image of Jesus next week because God says, that's what you're going to be like. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he foreloved you, that he would choose you to look and act and behave like his own son. Is your God not amazing? I know this is heady stuff, so you've got a whole week to chew on it. I'm going to pray for us right now that God would translate this knowledge into activity. Just listen with me through prayer. Father, we come before you knowing that you have done exactly what you would do, which is you have illuminated our minds. And some are wrestling right now. Some are instantly thinking of people that they know that are not in relationship with you and trying to make sense of all this. But the reality is, Father, you've given us a mandate. And you've given us a reason to have confidence that what we know to be true is actually true. Because it's built on a foundation. So we come before you and we ask that you would take this information you've given us and you would translate it to activity on our part, that we would be bolder and more confident to talk about the reality that we can be in relationship with you as a people. So Father, I'm thinking among the hundreds that are represented here right now, there's a lot of friends represented who don't have a relationship with you. And I pray that you would lay upon the hearts of every person in this auditorium to talk to someone this week because we have a confidence. You've assured us in the verses coming up that there is no one who can stand against us if you're for us. So we have reason to be confident. So God, I ask that you would send your people out now, not only with your blessing on them for having spent time in your word, but also with a degree of confidence to speak boldly about the God who for loves. Let us be an example of a shining light to this community, Father. I pray that you would do this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, the one who redeemed us and is coming again. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week, New Hope.